Notice verse 3. And every man that has this hope in him. Every man that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. Every man that has this hope, that is of seeing Jesus and being raptured by him. If you have that hope, then you will purify yourself, keep yourself pure even as he is pure. I want to talk to you tonight and Chances are I won't finish this, and I'll finish it the next time, Lord willing. And I'm really excited about this tonight, and I hope you will be after you hear it. I want, to, I want to speak to you and maybe even preach a little bit tonight about the power of hope. The power of hope. I understand it's been said of prisoners, of, of convicts, those that have been given a life sentence, that there's no... Uh, chance for parole, that you'll, you'll die in prison, that they will tell you that hope is a very miserable, tormenting thing, because in that place, there is no hope. I want to uh, speak to you tonight about the power of hope that you and I should have. If you don't have it, you can develop it. You can make it happen if you can take some faith and confidence in the Word of God. As a matter of fact, John said that now little children abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence before him. And I've heard people actually say that I hope the rapture don't take place anytime soon because deep down I'm not ready. I've heard people say that. There's been times that I've questioned my own life. If the trumpet sounded right now, would I go? Have you ever walked into the house when your spouse or, or saved children sh should be there and you call them and call them and they're not and that little thought goes through your mind? Anybody ever been there and done that? It's pretty scary. As a matter of fact, I, 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 there's one of our trustees in our church in Youngstown at the time uh, told me about a man that he grew up with in his home state, which was either Illinois or Indiana, one of the two, I don't remember, but the man had been backslidden for years and years. Was at a bar room drinking. The weather was bad. It was snowing outside. And uh, his, he lived with his very elderly mother, who was just one of those consistent, faithful, just saints of God that just lived an admirable life. And... Um, so she kept calling, looking for him, and uh, uh, finally found him at the bar and said, you need to come home. I have dinner on the stove. And he said, I'll be on my way in a few minutes. Well, he didn't leave right away, so she got worried that something happened to him on the way home, so she left to go to the bar to get him. Meanwhile, he leaves the bar to go home. When he gets home, the supper's on the stove. There's low heat under each pot, keeping it warm. And the man about went out of his mind. He knew that the rapture had taken place, and he didn't make it. He called the pastor in that town that he knew. He called him and said, I don't know what you're doing, but you have got to meet me at the church right now. I've got to get my heart right with God. It scared him back into a relationship with God. 
Well, I believe as we anticipate the rapture, it's inevitable, could be any day as far as I'm concerned, we should have confidence when we think about that occasion, that when the trumpet sounds, I'm going. Everybody said amen. John went on to say that there are those that's going to be ashamed at his appearing. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But I want everybody in this building tonight to leave here with hope in your relationship with God. There's a very powerful expression that comes from this passage of Scripture in 1 John. Every saint of God can and should have complete confidence in your relationship with God. Confidence in verse 28 that we just talked about comes from the hope that's mentioned in chapter 3, verse 3. That is, that hope that is in us, which leads us to walk in great godliness and holiness. Furthermore, the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ is a hope for every child of God, neither, that neither death nor the difficulty of our passage in this world, nothing should happen during our journey through this world, through this life. Nothing should separate us from that hope. As a matter of fact, that's what we live for. That's what our whole relationship with God is about, is to spend eternity with Him. I think sometimes we over-accentuate this place more than we do the one coming. And everybody say amen. But nothing can keep us and nothing should keep us from being united with Him and what will be the final work of our salvation. So biblically, one finds the expression of three words that are frequently scattered throughout the Bible. That's faith, hope, and love. All seem to be intricately related to the other in the walk of a saint of God, a child of God. Numerous sermons and writings and Bible studies have been produced over the years, particularly concerning faith and and love, But the aspect of hope, I don't believe, receives the same precedence as does love and faith. And we are perhaps least aware of the powerful process of hope in our lives. When hope is introduced into the life of the child of God, it is very similar to light being used to dispel darkness. When hope, through the Lord Jesus Christ, steps into your life, it ought to have eternal impact. And nothing should be able to separate you from your relationship with God if you have this hope that the Bible talks about. You know what sustained Brother Alexander for some 60 years in this church? I made this statement in his homegoing service. That it seemed to me, and it occurred to me actually at the end of that funeral service, that it just seemed to be his destiny to make sure this church survived. He never had the luxury of going to a church that ran four or five, six hundred people or a thousand. It was always a small nucleus of people and it was always a battle. But what sustained him ultimately is he never lost hope, not in the church not in the people of God, not in the ministry, 
and not in his eternal hope, which is heaven, which is where he is now. Hope can sustain you when everything else fails. I, I'm not, I didn't come tonight to preach a generic or teach a generic Bible study on hope. It's the crux of our relationship with God. And if you lose hope, you've lost everything. People terminate their own life when they lose hope. When there is no hope. I want to tell everybody in this building tonight, as long as you're sustaining a relationship with God, there is always hope. There's always hope. There never ceases to be a moment when there is no hope. In a relationship with God, there's always hope. There's always something else that can happen. You can ask the three Hebrew boys. You can ask Daniel. You can go right down the line in the Bible. When by all accounts, hope was lost. So hope can move in our lives in the same way that light can move in darkness. It completely dispels darkness. Hope can dispel doubt. It can dispel fear. It can dispel, it can get rid of unbelief right down the line. Hope is a powerful thing. The Bible is full of it, and so should we be full of it. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, most of you can quote it, For in this life only we have hope in Christ. We are of all men most miserable. I want to say something about this scripture, and it has a, a dual meaning to me. I understand the, the primary implication and interpretation of this verse is there's, there's life to come. But sometimes people put their hope in Jesus only in this life. It, that hope has a parameter and it never takes them to the next one. And we have to be careful about that. Every one of us should have a homing call in us to want to go to heaven. That should be our ultimate hope. That is the ultimate work of salvation on the inside of us is a hope to go to heaven. And if we don't have that, and your hope in Jesus is only for this life, even hope in Jesus in this life only can be kind of miserable. The worst misery of all would be given to those who believe that there is nothing beyond this grave. James told us that life is just a vapor. Job even tacked on the fact that life is but a few days and full of trouble. It's a terrible thing to have all of your hope locked up in a world of material things. And despite that many of the philosophies that are prominent in our times, they seem to have us believe that all that is seen, felt, and attained in this life, that's all there is. And you and I both know people that live their life that way. If it ain't happening in this life, it'll never happen. And every one of us here tonight is a heartbeat and one breath away from the next life to come. And we need to live like we know that and to be prepared for it. And everybody said amen. So instead of great joy and happiness being found in this principle of hope, those who seem to embrace this idea that there will be no accountability or judgment beyond this life seek to drown the misery of hopelessness in all sorts of bad behavior. They attempt 
discovery or relief through drinking and drugs and uh, great holdings in real estate and money and entertainment and all sorts of other venues. What is discovered is that their hopelessness drives their misery to even higher levels. In other words, the more you reach for hope and never finding hope, you just become more miserable. I want you to consider the very gloomy way that Job paints this picture. And I, I want you to listen to these scriptures. We just bear with me for an introduction for a few moments. In Job chapter 8, verse 13, the Bible said, So are the paths of all that forget God. And the hypocrite's hope, the hypocrite's hope shall perish, whose hope shall be cut off, and whose trust shall be a spider's web. He shall lean upon his own house, but it shall not stand. He shall hold it fast, but it shall not endure. Then he said in Job chapter 27, verses 8 and 9, and this, this scripture really upset me over the past several days. For what is the hope of the hypocrite, though he hath gained, when God taketh away his soul? Listen to verse 9. Will God hear his cry when trouble comes upon him? I make that statement pretty often. I want people to understand that you don't live a haphazard life for God. You, you can't be a hypocrite. You can't be a fair-weather Christian, a part-time Christian, a Sunday Christian, and then kind of blow God off the rest of the time in your life. Job is very clear that if you choose to live that way, God may not hear you when you're in trouble. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. I hear pecking on a cell phone. I hope what you're doing is a whole lot more important than what I'm saying. <clears throat> Just trying to help somebody here tonight. In Job chapter 31, verse 24. If I have made gold my hope, or have said to the fine gold, Thou art my confidence. If I have said to riches that thou art my confidence. If I have rejoiced because my wealth was great, and because mine hand had gotten much. If I beheld the sun when it shined, or the moon walking in brightness, and my heart hath been secretly enticed, or my mouth has kissed my hand. This also were an iniquity to be punished by the judge, for I should have denied the God that is above. Powerful, powerful words from Job. In other words, you, it's really pointless, it's profitless to put your hope into anything else but Jesus Christ. It's pointless. The wise man said in Proverbs 10, 28, the hope of the righteous shall be gladness. The hope of the righteous shall be gladness. Your hope can make you glad even when life can't. But the expectation of the wicked shall perish. These scriptures indicate that when hope is placed in empty and meaningless things, very little hope will come from it. From Ephesians 2, it's understood that there is no hope without God in this world. However, the writer of Hebrews penned his words and dropped a massive anchor for the soul of men and women. 
In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, the Bible said that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, which is the presence of God. So I want to submit to you tonight, first and foremost, that our hope tonight is in our salvation. I believe when we're born again of water and spirit, we should have hope in that. What was the name of the black man that went to Brother Cupid's church years ago? Brother Brown, I believe was his name. He used to sing that, it's one of my favorite songs. I have hope when trouble comes my way. And on and on he went. I can almost sing that as good as him. Did y'all just hear that? Thank you, Brother Phil. Appreciate it, man. Everybody else just dying laughing, so anyway. (laughs) But we should have hope. If you don't believe in your relationship with Jesus, if you don't believe in your obedience to the Scripture, you're kind of spinning your wheels. It's imperative tonight, Brother James, that we believe in what the Bible says. We should believe in what the Word of God says. We should be able to sink our teeth in it. We ought to be able to wrap our hands around it and say, when all the world crumbles around me and when things are going crazy around me, I've got something I can stand on this sure and steadfast. I'm going to tell you what. When Jesus filled you up with the Holy Ghost and washed your sins away in the baptistry in Jesus' name, he wasn't playing around. It's not a game to him, man. He paid a big price to be able to do that for us. And if he'll do that for us and have hope in us that we're going to do it, we ought to be able to have some hope in him that he's going to do his part i believe in god tonight i believe in what he's done in my life and i believe tonight if i live it and i obey it when i hear the trumpet sound i'm going man i'm planning on leaving here and i've got hope in that tonight thank the lord the task of believers when it comes to confidence our task is to be prepared for the return of Jesus Christ. We can prepare ourselves by abiding in Him, John said. If we abide in Christ, we shall have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. The word confidence means boldness or assurance. It has the idea of unshakable confidence and unshakable assurance and even boldness when Jesus returns for his church, that you can always be ready to testify that I'm ready to meet God, and you're right. We should all be able to sing, it is well with my soul. Everybody should be confident in that fact tonight. If you're not, we can help you with that. But on the flip side of of confidence that John said, the word ashamed, it means to shrink back. It's to have a feeling of guilt or disgrace, to feel embarrassment. If we do not abide in Christ, then we shall be ashamed when he returns to earth. In other words, we should have known 
We've been educated along this line. We're not ignorant when it comes to Scripture. We're not ignorant when it comes to a relationship with God. We've felt it. We've experienced it. So we would be ashamed because we knew better. A fact that is often ignored by believers and rarely entertained that there will be shame, disgrace, and embarrassment when the Lord returns. John said there would be those who would be ashamed. There will be some who will shrink back from the Lord. The picture of joy and nothing but rejoicing when the Lord returns is not really a true picture because at the time of rapture, there's going to be a judgment. As a matter of fact, there's one going on now. God's not going to get His church up there in heaven and see if you're okay or not. That's going on now. And at the time of the rapture, there's going to be a massive worldwide judgment, and those that are ready goes, and those that's not won't. And those that don't go are going to really be ashamed. You're going to walk around and say, I can't believe I was that stupid to miss the greatest moment of a lifetime over something as ridiculous as money or bitterness, or jealousy, or sin, or anything else you want to put in that blank. Romans eight twenty three says, And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. In other words, we're waiting on that moment. We're we're waiting. Our spirit groans on the inside. Recently, I've even heard a few people around here say, I'll be so glad when this is over. I'll be honest with you. I heard the news of Sister Murphy. I can tell you I said it. She told me the, when he passed away that Saturday night, she walked in my office and said, I just got a call, Brother Alexander, just passed away. And I said, I'm very sorrowful, I'm very sad, but I'm also very envious. Not being a martyr. I'm not hating life. But I sure am looking forward to that one. Wouldn't it be awesome to have that battle fought and won, that race run, and have it all behind you and hear them pearly gates click behind your heels? That's going to be pretty cool right there. You hear me? Amen. So to continue, verse 24, For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth yet he hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. I've never seen heaven, never been there. I've never met anybody that's gone over there and said it's awesome and came back to tell me. I've had none of those experiences. But I believe in my salvation with Jesus. I believe in the Word of God. And I have hope in that man. I have God's not let me down all of my life. And He's not going to let me down on that one. I want to go there, don't you? Give the Lord some hand praise tonight if you would. So the saint has a salvation that as of yet the greatest part has not been experienced. We think it's real cool around here. I left here Sunday saying, man, that was good church. Boy, that was awesome church. God was here in a great way. Man, that was, oh, man, that was awesome church. We haven't even got the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg. Folks, we've come too far to quit. And there's people here tonight that know too much to miss it. 
Amen. You, you, you know too, way too much to be doing what you're doing, living like you're living, you know, whatever. I just read to you out of Job. God may reach a point where he don't hear you when you cry anymore. May not. We need to get our heart right with God and stay right with God. But the greatest part of this salvation process is yet to be experienced. It's literally unrealized at this point what the full measure and benefit of our salvation will be. Great blessing, great fellowship, great understanding. A great providence of God has been dropped into different places in our lives, but it has only been, been a foretaste of what God really has in store for us. One translation says of Romans 8, we, we groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for that moment, for the adoption, our adoption to Him. For the saint, the rapture or death, whichever comes first, is a release from the bondage of this earth. The, the transforming work of the Spirit will bring freedom from the trappings of this fleshly body. The Spirit brings wonderful liberation. Hope will become an encouraging reality when one embraces the thought that the next, next aspect in our relationship with God will be the greatest experience ever. You know, all of the following things are good, and, and I'm thankful for the things that I'm about to mention, but they pale in comparison to what's in store for us. I'm thankful for forgiveness of sin. I'm thankful to have that burden lifted off of me, but that's, it pales in comparison when it comes to what heaven will be like. So is the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. I love that, man, but it's just a taste, the fruit of the Spirit, the, the gifts of the Spirit, answered prayers, fellowship with all of you, worship in the church, experience in sovereign hand of God at work in our lives, spiritual direction. All of those things are awesome, but it's nothing compared to what that celestial city is going to be like. So salvation is much more than what we have experienced here in this life. These things are nothing more than the fringe benefits of salvation. Somebody said one time, it's, 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 what we live here is kind of like an appetizer to the main course. Of course, the problem I have is when I go to my favorite Mexican restaurant and they bring the chips and salsa, you have a tendency to fill up on that. And when they bring the main course, you ain't hungry. That's what we do here. We fill up, we fill up, we fill up. So when somebody talks about it, I ain't hungry. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I want to go there. The second, as we continue to talk about hopeology tonight, the second thing I want to mention is not only is hope in our salvation, but hope is a gracious gift from God. Hope is actually a grace gift. From God, The Bible gives us a great stimulus for us to give to our mind when it comes to the hope that's set before us. We ought to stimulate our mind with these things. Our hope is in God who is unchanging and unalterable. The psalmist said in Psalm 42, 5, Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for yet shall I praise him for the help of his countenance. He will, he will give to us hope the more and more we develop our relationship with him. We will give in sometimes to much despair when we feel like everything is taking a downturn in our life, when 
things are falling apart in our life. But the psalmist very clearly stresses to us the importance of our hope in God. Our confidence must rest in Him. The psalmist said in Psalm 878 verse 7, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. Hope is a gift of grace. Paul said in 2 Thessalonians, Now our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God, even our Father, which has loved us and has given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. It's a gift from God. The third thing I'll mention to you tonight is that hope comes from the Scripture. I want to say everybody here tonight, if you don't read your Bible on a regular basis, that might be kind of why you feel oftentimes the way you feel. We have to put something more in us than what you just see on television and hear on the news and read. And dear God, what you read on Facebook and all that kind of... You need, to, you need to put more in you than that. As a matter of fact, you need the Word of God in you to counter all of that. You know people that take insulin for... Like if they have high sugar levels, they take insulin. I've actually seen people say, well, I'm going to eat that big old piece of cake. And then I'll do the insulin thing in a few minutes. You know, whatever, however that works. Well, that's what we do in our world is we fill up on the stuff bad for us. But somewhere along the line in your daily routine and schedule, you need to pick up that blessed book. If nothing else, subscribe to the version. I think that's what they call it, Bible. They send you verses every day. All you got to do is just turn your phone on, and there it is right there. Put, put the Word of God in you. Grace is, or, or hope is, an awesome gift of grace, but a whole lot of it comes through the Word of God. Give us this day our daily bread. You need that to sustain you. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand tonight, but it would be interesting to know how many here tonight have just sat down for a few minutes and read your Bible this week. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but hope comes from Scripture. Hope comes from scripture i love to pray when i'm praying and i love to pray love it when david said i will lift my eye lift up mine eyes under the hills from which cometh my help for my help cometh down from the lord you pray the bible you can pray scripture you say well i haven't memorized that much well this is really a no-brainer but i know people don't always think if you don't have a lot of scripture memorized but you'd like to include it in your prayer life, get you a Bible or your phone and open it up to the Bible and just pray. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leads me inside still waters. He restores me. Pray it. Just take your phone. You do selfies. Take your Bible out and just hold it up to heaven, Betty, and your phone and just... Just pray the scripture to God. It's amazing what it does in your life. Paul said in Romans, For whatsoever things were written aforetime, Romans 15, 4, were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scripture might have hope. 
All of that stuff that happened in the Old and New Testament happened so you could have hope. But you got to read it. In Psalm 119, the psalmist said, They that fear thee will be glad when they see me because I have hoped in thy word. The psalmist said, My soul fainteth for thy salvation, but I have hope in thy word. Your hope can be defended by knowing the word of God. Faithful reliance on Scripture will allow it to unload its own truthfulness on the inside of us. You know, the devil is very aware of this hope in the Word of God, and this is why the seed of the Word is always under fire, by the wayside, by the thorns, by the birds, by the rocky soil. You remember that parable Jesus told? It's imperative that when the Word of God comes to us, we hear it, we absorb it, We ingest it on the inside of us. We put it in our head. We put it in our heart. And we think on these things because it's your hope. And if you don't have that hope, you're going to have a hard time making it. Life can't be perfect all the time. And the Bible never said it would be. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, But sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Separate him in your heart. Put him in your heart, not mixed in with other things. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you and to give that reason with meekness and with fear. And I'm going to stop tonight. I'm not finished. I'm about halfway through, but I'll, I'll pick this up next time. The final point I want to mention to you when it comes to hopeology is that hope comes from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It makes hope reality for every child of God. In fact, it is a living hope which Peter expressed. 1 Peter 1.3 If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then what's the point of being here tonight? Our hope is vain. Our faith is vain. The resurrection gives us hope. Jesus said that because he lived and rose from the dead, that eternal life is afforded to us. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He was simply bringing out an Old Testament prophecy that the disciples were familiar with. In Psalm 16:10, For thou shalt not leave my soul in hell, neither shall wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Peter kept these thoughts in his heart, and he would use this psalm later on when he was preaching in Acts 13. Notice what he said. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. He said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after he served his own generation by the will of God, fell on asleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets. Behold, you despisers, and wonder, and perish. I will work a work in your days, a work which you shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it. Unto you, It is imperative that we believe in our salvation. It's imperative 
that we believe in the Word of God. And it is imperative that we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Job came to understand this revelation before the resurrection of Christ, and it came to him through much pain. He said in Job 19, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself. And mine eyes shall behold him, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. To the child of God, no matter what stone the hand of death throws at you in an attempt to bring you down, death has already been destroyed, and the sting of death has been destroyed. Death has been defeated. We have to understand that. We must believe that, and we must have hope in that. Notice the hope that prevails from Jesus in John 11, and I just mentioned it. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? The resurrection of Christ, our salvation, was established. Our hope was established. Our faith is established. We can believe in this. Now, I know that oftentimes people's minds are kind of like concrete. They're all mixed up and permanently set. And you can choose to believe what you want to believe, and then you can act on that belief. And you can say you believe in Jesus all you want, but until you act on it and live it, then it's just words. Anyway, I know life can be cruel. The devil can be cruel. Sin can be cruel. There's not a greater tool than the devil uses on you than to try to convince you that you've messed up and you've reached some place of no return. That you might as well give up and quit. You're not worth anything. You're useless. You're helpless. You're hopeless. What have you. He loves to play that card on people. And he does it every day, all day long, and with a whole lot of success. And so tonight, in the coming weeks and months, who knows what's ahead of any of us. But you may be tried, and I may be tried, on what I just taught you tonight. But I hope, with everything in me, that no matter what life does and no matter what turns it takes, that you can stand on the Word of God and what you believed in the Word of God. You can stand on the resurrection of Christ and say, you know what? Life may really be terrible, but I'm not giving up my hope in Christ. I'm going to serve Him. I'm going to live for Him. Look, we all mess up. Everybody messes up. I mess up, everybody does. I decided a long time ago that there's a difference in falling down on the ship and falling off of a ship. There's a big difference between the two. And sometimes we just fall down on the ship, but we think we're overboard for some strange reason. We can feel water around us, and we're sinking in it that don't even exist because we're still in the ship. And I want to say that to some folks here tonight. You are far more on board the ship of grace and the power and love of God than what you think. The devil wants to trick you with a lie and tell you you might as well just pack it up you might as well live in sin and enjoy yourself because you're going to hell anyway. Don't you believe that lie? 
The grace of God is boundless. The love of God is without measure. And God believes in us tonight. If he didn't, he would not have gone through the trouble of bringing us here. So I want to do my best tonight to give somebody hope. It's not a mysterious word that's unreachable and unattainable. Hope is not just for that elderly child of God that's lived it all of his life. That hope had to start somewhere, even in that person. And if it can start tonight in you, there's people here tonight, excuse my expression, but it's been to hell and back many, many times. And you know the intent of that statement. But you're still here. You're still here. Why? Because you have hope. And don't ever let that hope be taken away from you. Jesus made a statement to Simon Peter right before he was crucified, right before Jesus was crucified. And Jesus used the word faith. I'll insert the word hope. But he said, I prayed for you. The devil desires to have you, to sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith fail not. And I believe the implication of that word faith was hope. It's don't give up. The third day's coming. The third day's coming. Resurrection's coming. Yes, it is. Father, tonight we're grateful for your word. And your presence has come into our lives through new birth experience, being born of water and spirit. And I am so thankful to be able to stand in front of such a beautiful group of people and teach a Bible message like this one. I thank you for hope. That we don't just have to live from day to day clinging to yesterday's promise. But we can live day to day knowing that our lives are in your hands. Your arms are around us. We're in the palm of your hand. And you're guiding our footsteps. Even when we stray away from you and we do terrible things. The closest point back to you is where we are. We don't have to backtrack. We don't have to go through an unbelievable obstacle course. The closest point from, from you to where we are is where we are. You see to it that it works that way with grace. And I pray tonight that you would speak to every person in this building that when we lay our head down tonight to go to sleep, that we can go to sleep with a smile on our face knowing no matter what happens tomorrow, no matter what tomorrow brings, so we have hope that is beyond this life. And help us to understand that nothing can separate us from that hope. Nothing can separate us from that hope. Guard our minds. Guard our heart. Keep your hand on this church and your arms around it. I ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Thank the Lord. God bless you. Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you so much for being here tonight. I love you. Appreciate you so very much. Greet one another. Smile. And let's thank God for our hope. Thank the Lord. God bless you tonight. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.